yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. Wherever you are doing so around the world, please be sure to connect with me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And if you're in the U.S. or Canada, check out my daily radio show, Trunk Nation, live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Channel 103, Faction Talk, or anytime on the SiriusXM app, live or on demand. All the interviews you hear on this podcast happen live on my radio show. If you only listen to the podcast and you can get SiriusXM, well, you should listen on SiriusXM because you're only getting a tiny taste of what I do here on this podcast compared to what I do on the radio live five days a week. uh, There's also a sixth show on Mondays additional show on Mondays on Hair Nation with music in it. So six shows a week live on Sirius XM. Come on board and join me if you are not already, and I'll make it real easy for you to do so because if you're not a subscriber, all you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk, and you can get three free months of Sirius XM, no credit card required. No radio required because if you want, you can listen on the app. So be sure to take advantage of that offer and come on board and join me for Rock Talk and interviews every day live on SiriusXM or on the app at your convenience. This week, two interviews that happened about a week apart. And if you are a SiriusXM subscriber, one of these interviews you can actually see because it was all shot and is currently on the app. And that's with guitar virtuoso Joe Bonamassa. Joe visited me in the SiriusXM studios when I was in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. Again, the entire thing was filmed and is also now on the app for SXM subscribers if you'd like to watch this. But we're going to bring the audio to you this week. At the time I did this interview, Joe was just getting ready to start a short run of dates, including a show at the Hollywood Bowl with a full orchestra. At the time you're hearing this, obviously that show has since taken place and went quite well from what I understand. So we'll talk to Joe. Always great to visit with Joe. Always enjoy talking with him. Known him for quite a while and uh, appreciate him coming in, and we'll bring you that interview first. And then next, two interviews this week. We got a nice long podcast for you. Uh, Glenn Hughes, the legendary bassist, vocalist, former member of Deep Purple. And of course, Glenn shares a band with Joe Bonamassa that they both talk about, And that band is Black Country Communion, who have new music coming soon as well. The Glenn Hughes interview took place about a week after the Joe Bonamassa interview, but we thought we'd bring them both to you back to back since they do share a band and they do talk about that common band, BCC, that they have together. So 
both of them in one extra large podcast this week. We'll start with Bonamassa. We'll follow it up with Glenn Hughes. Glenn is promoting a tour that he has with Ingve Malmsteen that should be starting any day at the time that you hear this. So that's what we have for you this week. Uh, we will get to Joe Bonamassa right now to kick it off on this week's podcast. Joe, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Eddie. Really, really, uh, it's nice to see you in L.A. Yeah. You know, well, you get here once a year, right? Uh, no, I actually was getting here once a month for a oh, while. Oh, wow. But then some changes happened with the company and uh, my first time back here in a while working in the studio. I've got, I get here a lot. You know, I got a second place in Vegas now. Yes. So I'm, I'm west a lot. As a matter of fact, you're playing Vegas- in a couple of days, a couple yeah. of days, yeah. And I, I may, if you know a guy, I, I might, know a guy. <laughs> I might want to co- come, uh, come see. It's at the Cosmo, right? It's at the Cosmo, and, and uh, I think it's Saturday night. It, uh, yeah. Matter of fact, it is Saturday. Because last time I was there, I saw a big ass billboard for you playing in Vegas up, and I, I saw on your, uh, I don't know, if it was Instagram or Twitter that you had a billboard here and that you were, yeah. Uh, that's still a cool thing, right? Come on, I mean, it's like you know, I, I came, I came out here in '89 to do a show called the Rick D Show. It was like. It, he, well, Rick, for those who don't know, he was a very famous radio, DJ, guy. Yeah. radio guy, but he had a he had a show on ABC, and the house band was Billy Vera and and, and the Beaters from, from back in the '60s, and I came out here to do a do a, a bit on that, and I, my dad took me to the corner of Gardner North Gardner Street and Sunset Boulevard, which back in those days, both sides of the street, including the guitar center, was still that was was open. It was just guitar stores, so you could spend the afternoon looking at guitars and it was the coolest thing and i still remember that and i still frequent that mexican place called el compadre i was there two nights ago exactly everybody goes <laughs> and i was meeting a friend there the other night and i just happened to look up at the mesa boogie store and i had no idea that our billboard was up there and i'm like wow this is really freaking cool yeah come on it's that's like amazingly you, cool you kind of know you made it when 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 you know you got a billboard on sunset boulevard yeah i i uh I think that, you know, I think of, um, I put out a couple books uh, a few years back and I did a book signing here at Book Soup. Yeah. And for those that don't know, it's a pretty legendary bookstore on Sunset and it's still there. It's still open. And it was the book signing that I had most looked forward to because if you've ever been to LA, they always put on, they've got this little sign, yellow sign hanging off the, the building and they always put the author's name yes. on the sign. So I'm like, I'm going to get a photo of my name on the legendary book soup sign on sunset. So I came in and I look the night before I get here and the sign is blank. And I'm like, so the next day I'm oh, they put it up the next yeah. morning and I go the next day and the sign is blank. Oh my God. And that's the day of my signing. And I was like, Where's, where's, I didn't want, I was like, hey, what, why is my name, you know, what's going on? And, you know, you just talked about, we were talking off air about some work you had done to your house and the ordinances here in, in LA. There was some West Hollywood dispute at the time mm-hmm. where some ordinance came down just at that time. Yeah. Where they couldn't put anything on the sign. Unbelievable. And so the day I did my signing, like for a month, they couldn't put anything on the sign. I'm like, oh, it kills me to this day. 
So oh, those are no matter what you accomplish in your career, little things like that are cool. It means something because yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I've driven by the Hollywood Bowl so many times in my life, and you see those people on there, you know, the the you know the the, the L.A. Phil shows, Rod Stewart, and you know Elton John, and I've never been to the Hollywood Bowl, so the very first time I will set foot in there is on on uh, August 9th, you know, and and it'll be like a week from tomorrow, like Wednesday, and it's going to be great, you know, full orchestra, fifty seven people pieces including our band on stage and it's you know i'm just excited for it because we we just came off doing some festivals in europe you know and and this is something completely different and it's a different discipline different arrangements of everything so that blew my mind because you were just telling me again off air before we came on the hollywood bowl as everybody knows legendary outdoor venue here in in la and i was telling joe i had never there's a couple venues i've never been to that are super legendary. One is the Hollywood Bowl. And again, you're playing there next week yeah. with an orchestra. And you, it'll be the first time you're going in it? Yeah. How have you not played it before? Um, we've historically always done the Greek theater here. Okay. Um, and before that, when I couldn't draw a crowd, we would play the Mint or the Troubadour or something like that, which was the last time I saw you at the Billy Gibbons birthday party. Yes. And, um, you know, the thing about the bowl, it's, it's, it's big. You know I mean? It's like 12... 13,000 seats. So we're reasonably confident that we could sell the tickets this time. And, um, you know, and the opportunity came, you know, to do the, the bowl with uh, David Campbell um, as the conductor, who happens to be Beck's father. He's uh, the, the artist, the Grammy Award winning artist, Beck's dad. And he's a tremendously talented, you know, composer and conductor. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it, it, it could be it could be really strange or it could be really great, you know, but we pick songs that I think fit the strings much better than if we just kind of crammed, you know, some of the heavier blues rock, you know. So just for people that know, so the shows you have coming up, you've got a string of dates coming yeah. up. The only one that's with the orchestra is the Hollywood Bowl show on the 9th. The yes. other dates are the usual band. The, it, it, the eight-piece band. And uh, we have Jeff Bova guesting with us, uh, playing the parts of the orchestra. So he's like, uh, we call him the Bova Orchestra, because he literally has a keyboard, a computer, and all this like crazy technical stuff over there. And he's playing the string parts to uh, kind of get us used to having... You know, to it's it's getting us used to playing to a very strict format because the charts are the charts. You've and, never played with a, a full live fifty piece orchestra before. No, in your I, career? I've, I've had I've had orchestra on my on our records. You know, right. Black Country Communion, uh, my solo stuff, but that stuff always goes in after the fact. You know what I mean? So the, we're, we're never in the room with them. You know, the the one thing about an orchestra is, unlike uh, rock musicians or blues musicians, is is there's there's no improvisation. It's like you start at bar one and you end at bar 148 and it doesn't matter if it's wrong. You're playing those notes. You're kind of like it's a very robotic way of looking at music because even if your musical barometer says these notes are wrong, but it says it on the paper, you are trained to play those notes regardless, mm. you know. So and you're trained to play each bar. So if I go over a bar the orchestra, I'm going to be off with the orchestra. They're not going to come with me. So, it, you know, it's it's been challenging, you know, at, at rehearsals going, oh, crap, you know, it's like I, I took an extra bar in the solo. It's something I would do naturally, you know, because normally I just put my hand up and I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to sing a verse again. But with the orchestra, it's, it's, it's so calculated and so, you know, regimented, you know, from, from the bar one to, to the end of the song, 
Have you done a full rehearsal with this 50-piece orchestra uh, yet? That would be the day before the Hollywood Bowl. So, um, we're, so you haven't even met these people. Uh, I met the conductors, and right. uh, and and you know it's it's the LA Phil. So, you know the, these are the top guys, first call guys that that do you know everything from John Williams to to the Who. I mean, these are the same right. people that play with the Who. And uh, I, I actually have a good story because I, I ran into Roger Daltrey after he did our, the the Who shows at the Bowl with the orchestra, and 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 I I just. I don't know him very well, but I just, I said, how'd the show go? And he goes, you know, you know, Pete and I, we're getting up there and we can play two hours, but the orchestra can't. So it, the orchestra, you have 75 minutes and they, oh, is that right? And they get up and they go, they, it's kind of like the ordinance. It's kind of like the, the, or, the Santa Monica ordinance. <laughs> they got a union or something oh, in the orchestra? Yeah. And, is that right? And he goes, you know, Pete and I had to do this acoustic thing in the middle just so they can have their fucking break or something i don't know if it's you can curse yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and um and and i was like wow that's really a trip thinking that was eight years ago nine years ago when he said that and now i'm in the middle of that having to open up for myself just to cover the two hours so that's what i'm gonna say are you gonna do like 40 minutes without yeah. them and then they come out we're gonna do 40 minutes a 20 minute intermission and then they come out for 75 minutes and and if we go seventy six, I guarantee you, some of them are going to get up off off their chair. Wow! It's it's a, it's such a trip. It's so it's so mathematical and so regulated. And you know, I just don't want to be accused of abusing an oboe player right. or, or taking <laughs> taking Joe taking, yeah, yeah. slave driver. Yeah, you know? hostile work environment. <laughs> you know, the oboe guy feels like he got overworked. You know. <laughs> Oh my God! Now look, I, um, and again, not to dive into your business here, but I was talking about this a little bit before. I mean, uh, for people that don't know, the way you've done, you, the way your whole career has been from day one is remarkable. It's the, the ultimate do-it-yourself thing. So you even you basically promote your own shows and book your own yeah. shows. You do everything in house, right? Exactly. I mean, it's it's hip now to not have a record label. A lot of people don't. Right. You were like one of the originators of doing your own thing uh, yeah because i got dropped from sony and nobody would sign me and right. then we just uh, put, put our own label together but yeah. my where i'm going with this is you going into a place like hollywood bowl which i would imagine is expensive to begin with to get in there yes and then you've got this 50 piece orchestra as well yes. from a business standpoint are you going to walk out of there making any money no is... i'm working for the hollywood bowl <laughs> I that night say. <laughs> no i mean because we're and we're doing a dvd I was going to say you're probably recording. Yeah, it, right? we're recording it, and and so we have a film crew, and you origination know, fee. Origination fee for those who don't know, it's like to say for on the DVD or any any production for it to say live at the Royal Albert Hall or live at the, you know, Hollywood Bowl. You got to pay. You have to pay an uh, an, an an origination fee. It, it it it's like we're if we break even. I, I'll 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 think it's a home run, right? Um, but that's why we're doing the other shows to kind of pay for it, right? You know? right. And uh, but you know it, it's worth it because when I look back at my career, you know I have I I've I've put a couple of you know some nice venues on the on the on the trophy you know uh, you know shelf you know like Albert Hall we did Vienna Opera House we've done Radio City Carnegie Hall the Greek Theater. I'm trying to think what else. Um, we'll have the Hollywood Bowl. You know, I mean, we, we've- you've done. You're doing, and I know you've done Red Rocks, right? Red Rocks twice, yeah. Which, believe it or not, is the other legendary venue I've never been to. And oh, you got to go. It's we're, amazing. We're, we're there this Sunday. Yeah, this Sunday. This Sunday, we're at Red Rocks. Yeah. Uh, I well, that I mean, that would be. I mean, 
I'll be in Vegas. That's an easy shot, kind of. Yeah, I got to look at my. I, I would, I would love to go to Red Rocks. I've never been there, and I hear it's just like this magical place to see a show. When the weather is good, it there's no better. It's it's the greatest sounding outdoor amphitheater in the world, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. it's and just the view from, not just the audience point of view, from the artist point of view, looking out. It's just it's amazing to see that hillside full of people when the weather goes against you like it did uh, uh, the first night last year it is the worst because you could have four seasons in an evening like we <laughs> like we had hail we had rain we had a thunderstorm that parked itself two miles off the site now you have to they have to wait for it to be three miles off the site for them to let you play because i'll play in the rain all day long nobody cares but in thunder and lightning you have it, it has to be three miles from from the, the 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 site and it sat there for two and a half hours just just like just right Did over. they hold the show yeah two and a half hours oh wow and everybody got rained on. It was a deluge. And then the next night, it was seventy-five and sunny. It was like it was like the right. it was perfect. So right. we we've been lucky. I mean, out of the ten years that we've done it, um, maybe three shows have rained. We had weather in three three times. So yeah, it's not bad. So outside of these dates, which you have coming up, um, what do you? Last time you were in, you last time I had yawn, you had just done your last record. Right, which I I remember it was you. We were talking about Bob Clear Mountain was mixing it because yes. I'm a big Clear Mountain guy, and you were working with him. Yes. on it at the time. I think you were doing an Atmos mix or something he, too, right? He did an Atmos mix, and uh, he mixed most of it. Kevin Shirley produced it, but he right. mixed most of it. And uh, yeah, that came out. We did a DVD of uh, Time Clocks, um, you know, at, at Red Rocks last year. Um, I have a new. Uh, I have, believe it or not, I'm old enough to have. Now I'm starting to have 20th anniversaries of records that changed my life uh i have a record coming out in, in october blues deluxe volume two which is the 20th anniversary of blues deluxe which is the album that put me on the map and and we you know we recorded a different set of songs and it was you know it, it came out really good it came out really good you you have um if i'm not mistaken a live record from red rocks right uh two yeah two mm -hmm. is there a recent one uh tales of time is live at red rocks okay and uh these orchestra shows were supposed to be at red rocks in august of 2020 and obviously the pandemic shut us down and so we did our dvd last year at red rocks so we didn't want to do another red rocks one because it's just like okay well, you're like the house band over there which is not a bad thing but no. it's but but it's still it, you know it's it's not you know on the you know, like for PBS and everything, it's it's not like a real event. So um, we decided in the Hollywood Bowl. Man. Do you you've done um, going over your discography and knowing your catalog? You've done a fair amount of live records in your career, right? I think over twenty. Over twenty. Over twenty. And now I love live records. Yeah. And I grew up. I'm I'm a bit older than you, but I grew up when the live record, especially in the seventies was the make-or-break pivotal record for a band. I oh, mean, yeah. It was, and to this day, the 70s double live record is like the standard. Right. Uh, it's the thing, whether it's, uh, you know, Humble Pie, Kiss Alive, Cheap Trick, whatever it is, it goes on and on. And it's weird because, at least in the rock world, 80s came around, you had the U2 live record that from Red Rocks, Red Rocks. actually, did a little something. You had, like, the Iron Maiden live album that was kind of a thing. Um, but then they started to dissipate and they started to be looked at as like these contractual obligations. And then, you know, in the last 20 years or so, I mean, there's not really much at all with live records. They come out, but they're kind of like afterthoughts and forgotten. For you in your world, in like the blues, blues rock world, 
do live albums do well for you? They do. Um, and mostly to the DVDs, when we record the DVDs, they're played on uh, PBS. I've seen those. And and those do really well for us, you know, and it, and it does really well for, for PBS as, as, you know, as, as they run them as fundraisers. Right. That helps us sell tickets um, and it helps them raise money. You know, I mean, the thing about a live record now, and, and, I, and I, it, it, I, I saw what you were tweeting yesterday. And the, the thing about the live record now is like when I go see a band um, and I'll see a band at a festival or something like that. And, and you go, man, the fucking Beatles weren't, weren't this in tune. And you go, something's up, you know? Right. And, and there's a lot of space bar hit play and play along going on in, in live music, you know, and our live records, you know, there's a few nips and tucks and a few fixes here and there, but generally they're live right. because when I listen to them, I cringe. You know, I'm a lot of tune there. I'm a little pitchy right. singing wise there, but at least it's honest. You know what I mean? It's yes. a live show, and I think we're 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 falling down a, a very slippery slope with the technology in live gigs, where it's like, well, are you are you just dancing along to to a record or <laughs> dude? <laughs> you're preaching, but you I know, mean, but you know what I mean? It's like, and, and I, I well, saw you and I both chimed in on yeah. the Cardi B thing yesterday, yeah. Which is just again, I mean, somebody threw a drink. How about the fact that there's people there that paid to hear her sing? Yeah, and her micro. If you notice when the microphone hits the person or hits the ground, it didn't even pop. No, it wasn't I mean, even it was on. on at all. It wasn't even on. And you know, I I remember seeing some clips of this year at uh, Coachella, and Coachella's kind of turned into it. It's really just a pop music festival, so it's a lot of artists that a I I've, I've, I've never heard of, but they're big. They you look on their Instagram, they're thirty million followers. And what what I saw uh, just from those clips, they're not even trying. They're no, they're, they don't even have a microphone. No. It's like they're just they're basically acting along to their records and that's a live show now if people are willing to pay for that that's great but i think in somewhere on the ticket it's going to have to say you know listen you may not hear live music you may just hear pre-recorded tracks and watch your favorite celebrity dance along to that the thing that scares the shit out of me joe since we're talking about this at the moment because you're not going to find anybody who's been more outspoken about yeah. this than me for a number of years now i've seen where this is going the, the thing that scares me the most though is you just said if people are willing to pay for that and accept that, it scares the shit out of me how many people are. Like, yeah. like I always go back to the story of um, uh, uh, Ashley Simpson, uh, Jessica Simpson's sister, sister, who started a music career and about 20 years ago did Saturday Night Live, which was prided itself on live performance. It, it insisted everybody play live. Yeah. And then was blatantly caught lip syncing on live TV and completely like chastised and that's it. And yep. she, her career's dead now in the pop world, in the hip hop world, it's the norm, right? It's accepted. I saw a video not long ago of this pop artist, Dua Lipa selling out an arena. She's on her platform. She dropped her mic. It slipped out of her hand. Lead vocal just pumping out. She scrambled frantically to find the mic. She gets it. She gets it back to her mouth. What did the audience do? Not look in disbelief and say, why did you spend $1,000 to your computer? They applauded. Yeah. That to me. Now, look, I'm not, I don't give a shit about pop and hip hop. It's not my world. I care about rock music. And to me, the, the single most scary thing about the future of live rock music is that is the is if we get to that point in rock and I feel like we're halfway there 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I, when you talk about indifference from the artist, because I've gotten into, sh you know, I've, I've duked it out with people, whether it be online or whatever, call, being outspoken about this. And I don't care because I'll go to my grave thinking a live rock show should be mostly live. Right. There was a young band. I forget where they're from, Finland or something. And they played the whiskey. They're called Santa Cruz. I actually liked the band. And I actually had the kid on once. And I saw somebody sent, because immediately, whether it's Cardi B or a rock band, people send me the stuff immediately. Eddie, you know, yeah, yeah. they want to wind me up. So the kid, the lead vocal was coming out, and the kid who was the lead singer was just walking around, like, with his back to the mic in the show, looking at the drum riser, not even trying nice. to sell it. And that made me nuts because I'm like, this acceptance, it seems even more so with these European bands. And, you know, that was a whole thing for a moment. But that's the thing is, like, they're not even trying. Like, and, and I half-jokingly say all the time, I can't play, I can't sing anything, but why don't I do a band? Why not? I get Joe. Joe, I'll get you to cut the, the the guitars. I get somebody else to cut vocals. Tom Kiefer already told me to cut the vocals. Yeah. And I'll go out there and put a nice jacket on and- Start I, a band. Why not? Why not? I mean, literally, why not? And I have zero talent to do that. So it it is a- And, and now with the AI stuff we're hearing about, you, you figure out how that's getting meshed in. I saw an article- in Vegas, I'm sure you heard about this venue called The Sphere that's about yes. to open. Yes. Mind-blowing. Mind I went blowing. and watched it light up on the outside on 4th of July. And I just taught, heard about the sound system in there. And it's this most advanced sound system where you never, you don't know where the sound's coming from. It's just going to, it's not like it's going to be all coming off the stage. It's going to, wherever you sit, it's going to be around you. And the people who reviewed the sound system said, but it will be the most unforgiving in that if you make a mistake, it will be heard by everyone crystal clear. Right. Which yeah. to me, great, because I, warts and all, I love a rock show. But it, I started thinking, I'm like, holy shit, any band that's going to go in there is just going to put everything on a computer. Yeah. And then I'm like, what's the point? Like, I'll just stay home and listen to the record. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about bands now, and, you know, again, it's like, you know, they have this, uh, the, the these production managers and everything, they mandate, like, you know, through the band, they, they want a no stage volume. Like, so they're, they're playing through kind of like, uh, they, they call them fractals or they're, they're, they're digital guitar amps and they, they, there's no speakers on stage. So there's no stage volume other than the drums. And you, then you hear this thing out front and I'm like, well, I don't, what what's real what's on track you know it, it, it's it's so hard to decipher because there's a latency and you're watching the guitar player you're watching the singer and you go i don't know it, it's too perfect you know what i mean there's one guitar player and, and eight guitars playing and it's all stacked and layered and and it's and it's and it seems like you know and everybody's got in-ear monitors so they're what they're hearing is either themselves or in the, do you the, use ears or wedges no, i use wedges use wedges we're loud <laughs> we're loud course. as hell yeah. yeah and and you know again it's like if you make a mistake i the, to me that 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 proves the concept that that it is live yeah yes. i saw aerosmith in vegas when they did the last run and they fucked up a couple times and and at the end of the night steven tyler says to, to joe perry he goes joe a little rough one, couple mistakes on Mike. He goes, couple mistakes out there, right? And Joe just kinds of shrugs. And Steven looks at the audience and goes, you guys all still have a good time? And the crowd went nuts. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, what's exactly. wrong with that? Exactly. That's the whole, to me, the whole, like, since I was a kid, the whole measure of going to see a show live is how is it executed live? I don't expect it to sound like the record. 
I mean, some of the best shows I've seen recently saw the Black Crows uh, at House of Blues in Vegas. Yeah. Mind, like, mind-blowing. Like, wedges, like... Chris Robinson's like, fuck your laptops. And he came out and they played. The backing singers, the women up there, their mics were on. It wasn't yep. a track. They sounded amazing. Yeah. Rival Sons, one of my favorite newer bands. Amazing. Amazing. Watching Jay sing and hear the fucking, I'm seeing him next week in Vegas. I mean, amazing. So, I don't know. I could go on and on and my audience knows I do. But I, I honestly, I mean- in your world of like the blues stuff, it's not in that world, is no, it? No, no, it's it's that's got to be the last stand. Uh, yeah, I think um, the type of improvisational music that it is wouldn't we, we you'd be outed within thirty seconds. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of tricks in the blues world. I mean, people generally play live. You know, and what a concept. What a, yeah, what a concept. <laughs> what an idea. And they sing in tune, and it, and you're like, oh wow. You know, you actually, but you 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 know, back when I came up, you couldn't get a record deal, you couldn't you couldn't get a gig, you had to be able to play and sing. You yeah. know, like there, there was none of this. Like, well, we'll kind of get it. We'll we'll get it in tune in the studio, and then you can just go out and you know use the tracks. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's th- that was never an option. You mentioned Black Country Communion, which, of course, is the the rock band that you have with Glenn Hughes, jo, uh, Jason Bonham, and uh, Derek Sherinian. And I know you guys made a record, or because it was on social media, you guys were in the yeah. studio and working on a record. Historically, you've made the records very quickly. So is it done? It is not done. I'm actually, after I see you today, I'm going to go to Sunset Sound and see Glenn. And um, i gotta, I got to sing a little bit on it and uh, redo one guitar part for him. And um, he's over there cutting vocals now. Okay. And, uh, you know, so we're, I would say, 90% done, but the music's done. Is Kevin doing it? Kevin's doing it, yeah. He's there now. He's there now. Oh, wow, okay. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing about, you know, Black Country Communion, whether you like the way we sound or not, when we all get together... It has a very specific thing that it does. Everybody brings a very specific thing to the table, and it's it's a special band. and 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 I'm I'm glad, you know, I was able to to. I was the one that kind of initiated the text. Be like, hey, you know, any is there anybody interested in doing a fifth one? You know, and um, Derek got back to me. Jason got back to me pretty quickly, and Glenn called me and said, I need to sort. You know, I I can't do anything until this dead daisy right. situation goes one way or the next. And I said, fair enough. Right. So when uh, Glenn left the dead daisies last year, that, that was kind of like the green light for us to get back together. And, and, and how did the material come together? Did you guys get together and knock? Cause again, if I recall, and I've been on a fan of the band since day one. Um, I, and I think that's how I got to know you actually yeah, from exactly. the first record yes. through Glenn. But historically, you guys have it's it's all gone really quickly, right? Like you basically almost record live and you write really quickly. And yeah, what about this one? This was the same. I I went over to Glenn's house about six times, and um, we 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 hashed out some ideas, pretty rough, loose ideas, nothing nothing in stone. And um, so we had I had a playlist on my phone, voice memos, BCC one through ten. And that was it. So, so day one, we just, okay, let's start with BCC one. And we sat in the courtyard at sunset sound. They have this really nice courtyard with a, with a bunch of chairs. And, and, and we sat out there and with an acoustic guitar and a couple of things. And we just bashed out the arrangement. We were like, okay, that's cool. We went in, played it three or four times. And that was it. 
you know um no nobody charted anything we just kind of memorized it and 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 did it and we would go into the control room listen a little bit maybe tweak something but it it you know once it fired up and after the second day we really hit our stride going okay the band's back you know it 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 cuz we hadn't played together in 6 years yeah and uh so yeah i'm excited about that i'm excited to to you know i'd like to do some live shows with them next year i think it would be really fun well that's always the challenge because you do sporadically here or there but with everyone's schedules i mean jason's been playing with sammy hagar for a while sherinian's got a few different things going on your solo thing is huge glenn is going to go do purple i think he's doing that 50th of purple going out with ingve he's going out with ingve and jason also does a lot of stuff with his well, own one you know we did a show with him at jones beach last year and they're great yeah you know so he's you know scheduling is the hardest thing you know because of what everybody's got ahead of it. you know like it's like we were booked almost two years out but i i next year I really want to at least set aside a week, maybe two weeks, where we can go out and do selected shows, do a couple here in the U.S., go to Europe, do a couple there, because you know it is fun. It it is a it's and a- it's a, it's material for people that know Black Country Communion. And if you don't go get the records, I mean, there's four out there, and they are killer records. But it's it's music that sounds live when you hear it, and it it's music that lends itself to being played live. Oh yeah, having seen you guys live a few times, I mean, I can say that it's like that. That's you know, it really comes alive played on the stage. It does, and you know, because the nature of it, like you said, was it, I mean, it went down live. You know yeah. what I mean, and. So, and, and there's not a lot of overdubs, you know, like I, I rarely double the guitars, you know, cause Glenn's bass sound is so big and distorted. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why do I need to right. double the guitar? You know, same thing with Derek, you know, and, and, you know, so it, it it's almost like playing in the band free, you know what I mean? So it's, it's all kind of, all of the sound comes from the four of us, Yeah, you know, and, and Jason takes up a huge amount of bandwidth. Yes. You know, he's like such, such a big drummer. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, for you doing Black Country Communion, I mean, having such a huge solo career, is it um, is it a way for you to scratch more of your rock itch to fire that thing up and to kind of go more into like that world and and riff based stuff and and you know? Oh yeah, I mean, like, I mean, different from a guitar player approach uh, for you shifting out of what you're known for and what you do as a solo yeah. act and going into BCC. I mean, is that uh, a big change for you? It it really isn't. It it's kind of like a it, it's an it's an easy crossfade for me because, you know, I'm known as a blues guy, but I was you know I, I'm an equal fan of like the British you know rock stuff like Purple and Free and you know Black Sabbath. I was a big prog head when I was a kid. Yes, you know uh, Genesis and uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer. So. You know, I've I've always been accused of being too rock for blues. So so when I when I when I get the opportunity to be just a rock guy, that it's no no problem. I'm laughing because I remember our last conversation, at least on the air. I remember you told me some crazy story about you won some prestigious blues award and they had booed you. Yes, I won Entertainer of the Year <laughs> at the 2016 or 2017. Uh, 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 blues music awards right and i won entertainment uh, entertainer of the year i wasn't there because they they always they always do the ceremony right in the middle of touring season for me so i never i never could go but i got a video from a friend i got booed i'm like wow this is because of that because they didn't think you were blues enough to yeah, be exactly. winning the blues award yeah exactly <laughs> you know but you know the thing about the blues it tends to lend itself to it it, it 
kind of it it kind of there's a lot of like not infighting but you know people you know it's they're kind of everybody's struggling in that world because it's just it's hard to make a living playing just the blue circuit so anybody who's successful or figures out a different avenue tends to get you know you know put down and 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 looked down upon but uh you know for me it's like i try to help everybody i mean we we raised almost a million dollars during the pandemic um for bands blues bands rock bands any band i know i had you on for that yeah we talked about that and and so you know we were giving checks out to people that i know for a fact would go online and say how bad i was but i was like (laughs) but you get a 1500 dollars check i don't care it's like that's what it's for you know in in this in that this world this genre that you operate in i mean and i don't know it extraordinarily well but from my from my perception you're the biggest guy out there doing it right now as far as touring, right? Is there anybody that does the business you do? I think Gary Clark's does does really well. I mean, um in in that world, uh Derek and Susan do really well. Um I think uh, internationally I think we do better um than than most. Yeah. Um you know, we play legit arenas over there in in, in Europe and you know, big crowds and you know, a, a, again, you know, I'm just really really uh, thrilled that my fan base is stuck with me for 25 years you know what i mean it's like you know when when the first pbs special hit and we went from playing 500 seats to 3500 seats here in in in, uh, the u.s i mean it was not a guarantee that they would come back you know but we've been able to sustain that now for over a decade but my point about bringing that up is from my vantage point i and you know I i mean gary clark great and all the stuff you're talking about great but i think i think that you're the guy and I can say this, maybe you don't want to, but I think when people think of that world, you are and have been the guy right now. And you, and it's important for people to know you do a lot for that community beyond what you did for that, for the COVID time. Yeah. I mean, you, you have the, it's uh, keeping the blues alive. Right. You, you do a cruise every year. Yep. You, you produce and you have a label where you help other artists. I know you, you yep. really put a lot into Eric Gales yes. a year or so ago. So, so talk about that end of it because, and where does that come from? Like, why is it so important for you now that you've reached this level to kind of trickle down? Well, it, you know, it it's I'm in a position both financially and in life where I can help people. You know what I mean? And you know, you you can make a small fortune in the record business by starting with a large one because there's just there's who's buying records now, you know? But I, I look at my friend Eric Gales. You know, he asked me to produce a record for him on stage on one of our our charity cruises. Oh, he put you on the spot. Oh, absolutely. I interviewed him. Yeah, because I I I do uh, for my Bluesville uh, show here on Sirius XM. um, What I do is I interview three artists on the boat. You know, and we chop it up and we make make specialty shows like tonight. You know, today we got Peter Frampton talking about whatever. And so Eric was on one of the shows, and um, he goes, "Hey man, I just I just want to ask him." So he grabs the mic and he goes right out in front of the audience. There's like a thousand people in the audience you know and he goes i just want i want you to you know i want you to produce my next record and i was like okay you know i said yes and you know we put a lot of work into that record it got nominated for a grammy um and um and i'm disappointed he didn't win because i I thought he deserved it Uh, but but that's another story but um you know we work with eric gales we work with an artist from michigan named larry mccray who was fantastic 
like the last of the Rust Belt Blue Shouters, uh, Joanne Shaw Taylor. Um, we I'm doing a we're doing a record uh, for Mike Zito uh, this year. We've done his his band, the Blood Brothers, and and you know we help them market the records. You know what I mean? Like where where it's like they 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 come to us as producers, Josh Smith and myself. But when the record comes out, we use our social media. Uh, you know outreach and everything and, and it actually moves the needle for them and, and they they see um they see the the results in the live shows like eric gales is you know you know drawn much bigger crowds now than he than he was just a couple years ago so i'm proud of him he's put a lot of work in it and and you know i mean i do charge a lot to produce records and my, my fee is two diet cokes 20, <laughs> 20 ounce which is like i love some of the stuff i love the because uh, you know you're you can be pretty unfiltered and i love that about you because yeah. I, I am as well but i saw I, I saw somebody fighting with you about diet coke or something yeah where you printed something like i don't give a shit or whatever yeah it's it like i know what's in it and because I remember talking to you um, one, in one of our conversations on the air, and we talked about our, uh, you know, the the battle of uh, trying to keep your weight in check. hundred which, percent. Which I'm clearly losing that battle, but you've maintained it. I, I'm, it's, <laughs> every day's a struggle, Eddie. You know that. I do, especially in places like L.A. and New York and Vegas where there's amazing food. But I remember you telling me something because you were like, because I grew up in a predominantly Italian household, I literally grew up in an Italian deli, which is crazy. But you know, you you know, right. Bonamassa, there you go. Yeah. Um. But you you telling me like a while ago that you 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 had like your whole diet was like a soup yeah. and like diet coke and then like a salad. That's, That's it. That's it. That's it. Still. 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 So today, here we are in LA. It's one twenty-two. I had soup this morning, and then what and kind of soup in morning? In the morning, you I have soup? chicken noodle soup in the morning. It's, I, I know it's so weird, but it's that cal- is weird. It's calorie counting. So yeah. that's all you do. The cal- calorie yeah, counting. Yeah, I, 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 I calorie count, and and you know, will you vary the soup from day to day, or is yeah. it always chicken noodle? Well, at, at five hundred calories or less, you know, I mean, in so, a day? No, no, per meal. So, okay. so if I can do 500 to 600 calories per meal, that's 1200, you know, a couple Yeah. Of what's your day? De- how many are you taking in a day? What's the count? Maybe 1500, 1800, depending on how many glasses of wine I have. So, so instead of soup, why is it not possible to do a couple scrambled eggs or is that more? You can do, yeah, without, you, you can do whatever. You prefer soup. I prefer soup. It's just, plus I can see what it says on the can. <laughs> what's dinner? It's a big salad with a protein. Okay. You know, and then I shut. You know, I eat early. I shut down. I shut down around five thirty or six. I'm like, I'm like the early bird. You know, my my my, so, girl, my girlfriend hates it. So you mentioned go, that you like El Compadre, which is a legendary Mexican restaurant here in L.A. Yeah. You go to El Compadre. The minute you walk in there, it's chips, it's salsa, it's enchiladas. What are you doing there? I do the shrimp ceviche, which is basically just kind of like shrimp and uh, avocado and chips and guac and salsa you'll do the chips absolutely because how could you not yeah and and what i realized about that 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 particular establishment i stopped drinking for a year i took a year off just to prove that i could and i would go in there and they serve pepsi not coke you know because like if this is what started the fight online if something i I tweeted something about uh or x something they came out with a a something that said the sweetener in diet coke aspartame yes yes and And you took offense i I said listen (laughs) if anybody who who is a diet coke advocate or a drinker now there's a lot of people that 
that that this is their this is their jam, not Coke Zero, not and certainly pe- when somebody said, "Hey, is Pepsi okay?" It is not. <laughs> you know, hey, I'll have a Diet Coke. Is Pepsi okay? No, it is not. It's terrible. But Diet Coke is the nectar of the gods. And, <laughs> and, and but if anybody who's ever looked at a bottle of Diet Coke and see all the chemicals in it, you know the risk. This right. isn't this isn't organic. This isn't something you're going to find at Trader <laughs> Joe's. This isn't something that 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 nature naturally produces in a hot spring somewhere <laughs> in Montana. This is chemicals. You are you're you're ingesting chemicals with carbonated water. Willing participant. I'm a willing participant. And if you take my Diet Coke away, I will be the first I'm in I'm taking it to the streets. <laughs> you did. You took it to social I, media. I took it well it, it, and if they they take my incandescent light bulbs away, I'm taking that to the streets too because you know like like they're trying to take your gas stove away and everything else. Yeah. They're trying to take your toilet away. I got my place in Vegas is brand new. It's brand new construction. And I uh, in it all the toilets I swear to God, not to get overly graphic, but I've got to flush them three times to get a clean flush. Right. And I'm like, wait, they're supposed to be water saving. If it was just a normal amount of water in one flush, I wouldn't have to stand there and flush it three, three times. times. Yes. So it's madness. It's it, madness. Madness. It's 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 madness. But 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 the Diet Coke thing for me is <laughs> like everybody has a mountain they want to die on. That's my mountain. <laughs> That's that. That's the mountain I'm going to die on. Have you heard from Coca-Cola? Maybe they want to sponsor a Bonamassa tour. You would think, is 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 vocal and advocate as I've been of Coca-Cola products, that they would. That would this would be a no-brainer. That like want to wrap a truck or something like that. Crickets. Crickets. Ridiculous. We got to change that. Maybe somebody's listening right now. I mean, come on. Joe's going out there with an orchestra of fifty pieces. Somebody got to pay for this thing. They're going to go in overtime. Yeah, you know, I'm already buying the diet cokes. <laughs> you can put Coca Cola logos on the timpanis or whatever they're buying. Yeah, wrap the whole orchestra. You can wrap Joe Bonamassa. I'll just I'll, I'll wear a suit. I'll wear a diet coke can suit. I don't care. Um, before we go to the calls, people know you are also a massive guitar collector and have a, a crazy collection. I saw on social media you. Uh, responded to a tweet or something from Jim Ursay, who who was on this show about a week ago. Yeah, Ursay was on because I went to his thing in Vegas when he does his collection and all of that. Yeah, and, he, and, and I he, saw it. He brings like Kenny Wayne Shepherd and and, yes. and it's an all star band and it's free. And Johnny Lang did it. I, I and uh, Kevin Cronin did it. He had Stephen Stills there the year I was there. Billy Gibbons did it. So he's yeah he, sh- he should plug you into some of that. That'd I know. Be cool. Yeah, exactly. But what? So what was he? He's going around buying up stuff, and you're buying up stuff, and he wants to buy your collection or what? No. So the story was, I, I it was just a joke that like so the rule number one in social media: don't joke because not everybody gets the right, joke. Right, right. So uh, Guitar World posted a story about an interview that Jim had done where he says that he turned down a billion dollars for his guitar collection and his collection of antiquities. Now he's got like copies of the constitution and I've seen it. like Abraham Lincoln's chair. I know. It, crazy rare. It's just, it's a very eclectic coll- right. collection and he's got like Gilmore Strat and the, right. the, 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 the drum kit from Ed Sullivan. Kenny the, Wayne Shepard played that Strat on stage the night yeah, I saw it. Yeah. yeah. And it, which is cool. He, like the stuff gets out there and it gets used. So it, 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 I just tweeted back, not, at, at Jim so much, but just just as a joke, it's like, well, if Jim turned down a billion dollars from some guy in Dubai, <laughs> have your guy call me. Exactly. 
Exactly. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be so keen to turn that down. What is the latest addition to your collection? Um, guitar wise, I think uh, the the late the, the 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 last big one that I bought, I uh, I, I got uh, Norm Harris from Norm's Rare Guitars. I'm actually wearing his sweatshirt now, but uh, he had one uh, mint uh, 1950 Fender Broadcaster left from his collection, and I bought that. And it's a it's a it's a really staggeringly cool piece of Fender history. I mean, it goes back to 1950, and it essentially looks like a Telecaster. I mean, it is a Telecaster, and you realize that how right Leo Fender got this thing right off the bat. I mean, it's the first year he made them. Nothing's changed. It's a Telecaster. They make them today. I mean, you know, so you know, I'm I'm really big into that kind of stuff, and I'm a custodian. All this stuff, the 500 guitars I have, the 500 amps. All of this is going to go to somebody else one day. You know what I mean? So I'm just a custodian. My job is to play them and look at them. And take Do them. you take them on the road, the, the really oh, yeah. high-end ones? I take a bunch of them on the road, yeah. So that new one that you got, what's the value of that? It's about 225000 Okay. Will you take that on the road? No, I have other ones that are beat up that, 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 that go on the road. Right. So. Right. Um, you know, the mint stuff, the stuff that's like so preserved, my ego is not that big where I'm like, well, I'm just going to play it because my music's this important. It's like, no, this guitar has been perfectly preserved for 70 years. Go play something that's beat up or, you know, it's like your guitar tech must be like, God, I can't imagine. He, <laughs> he is in charge of just a tick over a million dollars worth of gear between the amps and the guitars. Gosh. But, you know, we, 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 the way I look at it, it's like when I was playing guitars that were less expensive, I never dropped or broke one of those. So the, the protocols are in, you know, place. You don't ever do that thing that I see some people do where they throw the guitar to the tech who's in the wings? No, but Tom play? Kiefer used to throw uh, vintage guitars around in the 80s. Like he, he would throw uh, like, like, like vintage tellies and, and Les Pauls around he, to his tech. I mean, I, I, there's video of it, which is, which is, which is great. You know, Hank <laughs> a lot Williams. A of pressure on that tech. Well, Hank Williams Jr. used to throw around a 58 Les Pauls, probably worth $300,000. He just would throw it to his tech. You know, it's like, I don't know about that. Before we run out of time, let's get a few calls for Joe, Bo Joe Bonamassa. And uh, his tour, by the way, again, starts, when's the first date? Tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow in Paso Robles at the uh, Vina Robles Amphitheater. And you got Red Rocks coming up, Vegas coming up, Hollywood Bowl here on the 9th with an orchestra. So just go to Joe's website. You can see everything going on there. A uh, couple quick phone calls before we have to end. Here's Jason in Houston for uh, Joe Bonamassa. Go ahead, Jason. Thanks for waiting. Hey, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you in uh, the, the Winery Dogs concert a few months ago at uh, Warehouse Live. But uh, oh, cool! Super happy to Thank talk you. to Joe. So I'm a guitar player. I don't have a massive collection like you do. I have only nine guitars, which is a mix of Jacksons, Gibsons, Tellys, and uh, a girl that played on your cruise, Samantha Fish. Uh, sort of inspired me to buy a cigar box guitar. Um, nice. But my my big question is, number one, I love Welcome to Nerdville. Please keep that going. I geeked out with you and Brad Paisley. I think he's a super underrated guitarist. I've um, actually been a guest on Welcome to Nerdville. That's, that's right. I mean, I it was uh, obviously it was a slow guest day for Joe, but I was honored to be on it. I was honored to have you, my friend. <laughs> it was Go ahead, Jason. Episode, but sorry, I, I saw Joe and Brad geeking out about guitar gear and guitars and all that stuff. So I love you, Eddie, but that sort of took the cake. But so my question for you, Joe, is if, with all these guitars you have and all this equipment you have, because I have a couple of orange amps, I have a little mini Marshall stack that I love playing through. Um, what is your favorite guitar and amp 
to play through as far as your collection goes? Oh, you know, it, it, it's again, you know, there's not there's not one favorite. There's not one guitar. It's like, I'm not like a Bruce Springsteen type where, I, like, you know, he's had that same Telecaster for 50 years. And Stevie Ray Vaughan basically played one guitar. Rory Gallagher, the same thing. I, you know, it, to me, the, the my catalog is so vast and different that I need the right tool for the, the, the job. You know, if I need a Les Paul and a Marshall for Black Country Communion, that's what I'm going to play. If I need a Stratocaster and a Fender amp, that's when we play for the blues gigs. You know what I mean? So I try to, I try to pick the right tool for the job, you know? So it sonically sounds somewhat legitimate to me. So there's not one favorite. I do, I do have a, a fire drill. I can get six, six of my favorites out of the house. If the, if the, if the fire comes up the Canyon, <laughs> just your six favorite kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, and we talked about, so I'm not going to give away where Joe lives, but I've been to Joe's house, not when he owned it, but the previous owner That's right. was a good friend of mine. Um, I won't even say, I won't, I'll leave it alone. But he, anyway, I've been to the house. Yeah. And Joe has an extraordinarily steep driveway. Yes, I do. So if you're going to try to get those guitars, yeah, oh yeah. you're going, you're dying on the hill. Yeah. and, and dying and, on the hill. And the topography of my house really is the best theft deterrent because, <laughs> because to get- It's like Alcatraz. When I moved in there in 2015, I didn't have- maybe half of as many guitars as I have now. And it took me five days to get the gear up there, you know? <laughs> and so, so anybody who wants to, to rob the house, I, if you can back a truck up there, <laughs> no, you, which, you which, you, which you can't, it's going to take you days to, to steal it all. You know, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, here's Robert in Massachusetts. Go ahead, Robert. Robert. Robert was on hold for a while, then I picked him up, and he's gone. Uh, how about Tom in West Virginia? Go ahead, Tom. You're on with Joe Bonamassa. Hi, Eddie. Great to talk to you, and uh, great to talk to Joe real quick. Uh, big admirer. Love, love his uh, music. But, Joe, since you handle all your business affairs by yourself, or you and one other guy, who handles all your ticketing? Well, uh, our ticketing is, um, it, it's a combination of, of the venue. They have their own brokers. Um, like some, some venues are, are exclusive to Ticketmaster. Um, for say what you will about Ticketmaster, they're still the industry standard as far as, as far as ticketing. It's, 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 you know, I think the fees are insane. I think, you know, the, 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 the stuff they do to the fans is, is vastly unfair, but unfortunately it's very difficult to get around them. You know, I mean, they, they do have a monopoly on the, on the market, but, uh, ticketing generally goes through the box office and, you know, we have a whole staff that, 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 that does marketing for the shows and ticketing and, 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 and everything. And, you know, we monitor ticket sales on a daily basis. You can pull it up on a computer. So, um, you know, it, it takes a village to get me on stage for sure. And, and it's not, uh, it's not so you don't run through like a live nation or an AEG or anything like that. No, no. But if they control the venue, how do you get around that? I rent it from them. Oh, so you just buy buy it out? Yeah, I rent it from them. You yeah. know, you know, it's uh, one of the you know one of the things. It's like you know, like and we have a we have a, a guy at Live Nation that helps us with Live Nation venues because if you know if you cold call them off the street, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna try to charge you as much as they possibly can. But we we get fair deals from them, and and they they've always been they've always been nice, you know, and 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 fair. But as far as a promoter, I don't have a promoter. We promote our own shows. I don't have a booking agent. We book our own stuff. Yeah. So do you, um, 
w- ticketing fees is a big hot topic now, and there is uh, I-, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with this story, but Robert Smith from the band The Cure, The Cure, yeah, he was able to actually fight that with The Cure's recent tour, kept ticket prices reasonable, and he fought so hard on the fee issue that all the f- uh, fans that bought tickets ended up getting uh, $10 refunds without even asking t- uh, back. Um, now, 10 bucks is, most people be like, what's the big deal? But as a principal thing, it made a point yeah. that it's possible to do. So all of that stuff, you, you, I mean, it's hard because you're dealing with um, these different outside forces. Even with merch, you know, there's a lot of artists that complain about the venues take a big cut of the merch. Merch, yeah. Now, if you buy the venue out like you're doing, then do you are you able to control 100% of your merch? Uh, merch, it, it varies. Um, the venue still wants a piece. Um, but a lot of times we have so much merch what they, what we do is we do, do what you call a buyout. It's like, it's like, just give them something. They'll say, well, give me give them a flat rate depending give, on what you sell. Give me 500 bucks and you just, you, you sell and we don't take a percentage. You do you do a lot of, uh, do you do well with merch? Do you sell a lot? We, we do between 15 and 20 grand a night, like, uh, out, out in the lobby. Right. And, uh, you know, which, which I just didn't know if that world, like, you know, the, the blues rock world, like there's some bands that even if they're not big bands, they do crazy merch, crazy merch. Um, you know, I mean, our online store, it does really well. You know, that we have a whole like online, so there's hundreds of Joe B items on there and, you know, everything from golf balls to beach towels, you know, but you know, it, it is a, you know, it, 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 you know, merchandising and, 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 you know, understanding where your brand is, is a huge part of, of this business. You know, you have to remember that. And, you know, I used to get a lot of shit because people would call me the crusty, the clown of the blues. Well, <laughs> I see this more after the pandemic than not, then I'm seeing a lot of those pa- same people that would, 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 would say that about me or they'd roll their eyes. And now they're, now that you see their website and they got all the same crappy merch as i do and i'm like see i told you oh yeah well i t- i grew up a huge kiss fan and i mean kiss took all this shit for selling everything and now everybody's doing it you Abs- know absolutely. everybody's doing it like i was trying to think of this the other day and i know we're running out of time but i wanted i i get a couple quick calls before we do um i've always tried to figure this out who was the first artist to ever charge for a meet and greet because you got to imagine that person took a ton of shit yes like like, hey, I want fifty bucks, and you can come backstage and take a photo with me. And I, can you? If you, I, I mean, I can't imagine at the time. Like, are you kidding me? What the balls? Now, literally, almost everybody does that at various tiers. But I wonder who the very first, the guy I keep coming back to, and I actually brought it up to him, is CC Deville from Poison. Mm-hmm. Like twenty years ago, CC was walking around backstage at a show at Jones Beach in Long Island with a sandwich board. That said, ten dollars for a handshake, twenty dollars for a photo, and it was CC's sense of humor being a goofball. Right. But I said to him, like, I saw him less than a year ago, and I go, "Cease, I think you started the thing." And he, him being, you know, funny, he's like, I, "Of course I did." Yeah. Right. But but I don't know who the first person who did a actual structured paid meet and greet would be. If I was to guess, kiss, kiss <laughs> would be the first. First band and and maybe the Eagles, I I would. Are they like a approachable like meet and greet type people? I would think they'd be pretty. I don't know those guys, but yeah. I think they'd be pretty crotchety. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, it's it's you know it, all this stuff like we were talking earlier about the about the lip syncing, all the stuff that bands took 
so much shit for in the 80s the Milli Vanilli reference you know like they they were visionaries you know now um <laughs> you know the 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 paid meet and greets and 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 all of all of the the merchandising and all that now it's industry standard it, it was like a slow moving glacier but now we're there you yeah, know and yeah. it's and it's like and you know why because the mailbox the mailbox money dried up right and and you know artists are going well I, I have a lifestyle, so I have to pay for it. So print up some T-shirts. Right. Michael in West Virginia. Go ahead, Michael. Big fan, Eddie, and a big fan of you, Joe Bonamassa. Um, Thank you. Thanks. you in Charleston, West Virginia back in February. I asked the day off for work to go. Um, I met you after the show. Really cool, man. We took a Thanks. selfie. You signed a, you signed a book with a mine and posted on social media and you like the post that was cool too well great i'm i'm I'm, thanks for coming it's been it was a while since we played west virginia thank you michael appreciate the phone call glad you had a good experience there here's uh lou who's in pennsylvania go ahead lou hi um joe it's an honor to talk to you um my daughter thank you it's just an honor my daughter she's 17 now and she started playing guitar when she was 11, and she's seen you several times. And besides practicing, do you have any other advice for her? Because she wants to write. She does write. She writes her own music and things like that. But I'm not of a musical background, so I'm clueless. Well, my, my, my best advice is uh, to any, any musician is to soak up as much music as you possibly can. Uh, you know, whether, you know, if, if you like rock and roll, I would dive into folk music. I would dive into blues. I would dive into jazz. I would dive into heavy metal. You know, it as much as you can soak up, you know, in, in your musical, you know, experience makes you a better songwriter because you have all these references kind of like, it, you know, that that you can go and, and refer to when you're writing your songs, you know, and I, I'm glad I, I, I did deep dives into a lot of different styles because, you know, that's part of the journey and that's the work, you know, you don't want to just be, you know, one, you know, stylistically one style. I mean, cause it, 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 you know, you become a, a very, very, uh, I'm trying to find the right word. It, it, it's one note. You're, well, you, it, the, the music isn't as deep as it could be if, if, if you, yeah. if you, you know, listen to a lot of stuff. So, so you mean right, I have to force her to listen? I have to force her to listen to my music, is what you're saying? Well, I wouldn't force anybody to listen <laughs> no, to anything, just but just just I'm encourage just her to yeah, just just encourage her to 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 explore as much music. I mean, everything from hip hop to jazz. I mean, it's it's okay. there's Thank something for everybody. Thank you so much. All right, Connor. Thank you. Thanks, Lou. Take care. Um, we're going to run out of time here, so I just want to mention this one more time. Uh, Joe's tour starts tomorrow in Paso Robles, California. And then from there, Vegas on uh, Friday, the Cosmopolitan, Salt Lake, uh, Morrison, Colorado. Is that Red Rocks? That's Red Rocks. Oh, yeah. okay. How, how far out of Denver is it? It's about 35 minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, LA, big show, Hollywood Bowl, August 9th, performing with a full orchestra, as we mentioned. And um, well, then you go to Long Island. Yeah. Wow, that's... With Sticks. Yeah, Sticks and Don, and Don Felder. Felder. Wow, all right. That's cool. Jones Beach, uh, Bethel, New York. So you got uh, a bunch of stuff going on. And then you got your cruise, which is coming up. You're going to Greece? Yeah, yeah, our second cruise. And it's uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd's on it, Blackberry Smoke. 
Um, Love uh, Charlie. Yeah, great it's, guy. A, it's a bunch of great acts, and uh, this is our second one this year. Um, so you know, you know, the, the the cruises do well, and it's a it's a, a a great way to raise a lot of money for for this foundation that we've been working on in a short period of time. So, and then there's a fall tour. Yeah, that'll start October 23rd in Memphis, and then roll from there. And all the information is on Joe's website, which is jbonamassa.com. Black Country Communion album, what are you thinking next year? Are you going to get it out this year? I think it's probably going to come out February, March of next year. So a little down the line, I'm sure we'll do something with uh, all the guys when you're yeah, ready to roll I mean, that out. I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, when I, when, I, when I leave you, I'm, I'm on my way to the studio to help finish that thing. So Well, so. send my best to Glenn and I Kevin, will. and thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. Anytime, Eddie. Always thanks great to see me. you, man. Well, my thanks to Joe Bonham. Massa, great to visit with him. Again, full video of that interview is now available on the SiriusXM app. As promised, Glenn Hughes, a second interview for you this week. Glenn is a phenomenal singer, even at this point in his career. Remarkable what he is still able to do. He's getting ready to go out on a co-headline tour with Ingve Malmsteen, and uh, he also touches on some Black Country communion stuff as well. Here it is, Glenn Hughes, interview number two on this week's podcast. G.H., how are you, my friend? How's things today? Happy birthday to you, my dear heart friend. Another <laughs> oh, year you of knew- God. Can, can you believe it? We're another year into it. <laughs> uh, it's uh, every birthday. You know, you know, Glenn, well, first of all, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. And oh. secondly, uh, you know, every time I complain about how old I'm getting, I always say to myself, well, it certainly beats the alternative, right? <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. We're treading this earth, you know, one day at a time on the right side of the grass. You know, I wonder, I think about, I, I was talking with some friends, Glenn, uh, because for those that don't know, Glenn did uh, the YouTube show as well with Don and Jim and myself last week. And some of my friends watched that and we were talking and we were i was going on about how great you look and still sound at your age how many years you've been doing this you, and i told my friends i said you know you've got to read glenn's book if you never read his autobiography because after you read it you will be even more astonished to mm. to to know how, to to at how great glenn still is i was telling them and how great mm. he looks if you hadn't made changes in your life, Glenn, we wouldn't be talking now, would we? I no. mean, you wouldn't be with us. No, I, I had to. I, I wanted to make changes in the 80s. I just didn't have the strength to do it, you know. And I was brought to my knees on Christmas Day in 1991. That was the signal that I was definitely in help, needed help. And ever since then, I've been walking the path of recovery, as you know, and uh you know, I'm one of the grateful ones. I'm the lucky one. And so many of our friends, mine and yours, didn't make it. They disappeared. They passed away. And I feel so bad for those people. We've got to keep, we've got to keep breathing and we've got to keep doing what we do. And we've got to be in the present moment. We've got to live in this moment. Is it still, um, I mean, 91, I mean, that that's many years now, and congratulations to you on it. Is it still hard for you at all to, to maintain sobriety? No, when I, when I had that moment in 91 where I realized that this could be the end, I changed my number, I moved out of my house, I changed literally 
everything and adopted a new way of living and started to breathe differently. I mean, I was out there for quite some time, as you know. I don't, as I say, I don't remember the 1980s at all, although I'm, I did make some uh, interesting albums. But since then, I, it's been a, a road of great, a great road I've, I've lived, you know, some amazing moments, and I, I, I cherish them all. The albums you made in the 80s at the height of your addictions, you don't remember making them? I remember, yes, I, I do, Eddie, but I, I don't recall like I should recall. I, I remember, of course, making the Hugh Thrall album in, in 82. Of course, you know that one. I remember right. recording Run for Cover with Gary Moore in 85, which was, wow, a moment that I really should have taken a look at closely. And, of course, I made the album with Tony in 85, and those three albums, I was present, but I wasn't the man I am today, you know. So I'm really happy with everything that has happened. To get to where I am, I'm really happy with what has gone on. I've made my amends to people. I've had some magical moments. So I'm one of the great, one of the lucky ones. Yeah, no doubt. When you say the albums you made with Tony, that, of course, is Iomi. And there was the Sabbath album, Seven Star, Infused, and DAP Sessions. We've talked about yes. those records. You know, it's funny because if people watch the YouTube show that we did last week, I ran down, I tried to come up with a different yes. band. Like, we did our top six, and I tried to come up with a different, you've done so much, a different band for each yeah. category of all six. And I had forgotten about Hughes Thrall. I think Don remembered that one. Yes, but you just yes. mentioned a record that I forgot that we all forgot about with that Gary Moore record. Yeah, that was great. And you you yes. sang like half of that record, if I remember. I did. And Gary, in my opinion, in my opinion, I played with everyone. You know that Eddie, but Gary Moore, playing with him was truly astonishing. The man was absolutely an incredible guitar player an yes. absolutely incredible and a wonderful guy. And we must remember that we should go back and check Gary Moore's music out. It's absolutely phenomenal. Yes. The record you did run for cover, but there's also, yeah. uh, there is, I mean, the victims of the future and corridors yes. of power. I mean, I love yes. those records. And then later in his career, he kind of got into being more of a, a rock blues guy. And, and unfortunately I I'd heard that as uh, just, just prior to his death, he started to kind of go back more into the yeah. hard rock space again, or was considering doing that, but he was lost far too, far too early. And a guy that in America, at least, uh, should should be way better known than he is. He he had a, a huge influence on so many. Monster player. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, you, you asked me last week about all the guitar players, and I, I didn't talk about Gavin. People were talking that I should have mentioned him. But he's always in my thoughts. Uh, and when I think about the work I did with him, and uh, he was astonishingly, and he was a really close friend of mine, as, and so I've got only great memories. I've, I, I'm here to share the love of people. Yeah. You know, speaking of close friends of yours, and we're going to talk about your tour here in a second, but speaking of close friends of yours, you know, I, I had Tony Iomi on this show recently, mm. just a few weeks ago, and Tony and I are in touch, and I, I love Tony, and uh, obviously he's you know, the all-time riff king and all of that. Yeah. But can you can you – I know you guys have always been close – but can you talk about how you initially got to know him and your earliest 
connections to yes, Tony? I, I mean, you grew up in the same area, right? I can. So let's go back all the way to Paranoid, when Paranoid was a top five single across the world. <clears throat> My band, Trapeze, I was just a teenager. We had the opportunity to open for Sabbath on an all-night concert in Birmingham, right in the middle of Birmingham. And I met the guys in the band, and Ozzy lived about four miles from my home. So I got to, got to know them, you know. So I've known Tony, Giza, Bill, and Ozzy since 1970, and they are family to me because we grew up very, very close to one another. Wow, it goes back that far. It's amazing. Now, do, would you ever... I, I talk to Tony, and Tony, I know, dabbles with some music and does some things yes. here and there. When we lost our mutual friend, Ronnie James Dio, I know you were one of the singers on that final show that they did yes. uh, in Europe somewhere where you sang most of that set uh, for, for yes. Ronnie, who had passed. But have you ever, I mean, I, I've mentioned this to Tony because you're the one guy that could sing all of it. And you have history with Tony, and you've got three records with Tony. Have you guys ever talked about doing something together again? My manager, Jimmy, is close with Tony now also. So we, 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 we have spoken about doing something again at some point, and I can imagine that some point means soon. <laughs> Do I have anything for you, Eddie? I wish I did. Trust me, when I've got something, I'll let you know first of all. But Tony and I wouldn't surprise me if we do do another song, another album, something, because I know Tony at this moment is writing away. You know, he writes every single day. And I know he's uh, starting to uh, get some songs together. Well, you know, he's open to doing shows if it's the right situation. Yes. Not touring, but a show. And Glenn, I'm just putting this out there. This is just me talking as a fan. You're the one guy... Like, if he wanted to celebrate his entire catalog, you're yeah. the only guy I could think of that could sing it all. I mean, we know Ozzy, unfortunately, is not in a position to be able to play right. live. We've lost Ronnie. There's the one record with uh, Ian Gillen, which just turned 40. There's the Tony Martin stuff. There's three records that you did with him that have some great stuff. You're the one guy that if Tony wanted to get out and celebrate his whole career that could, could sing it, you know? I think it would be brilliant. You know, I, I believe that could happen if the spirits hold their value. So, uh, I mean, I just got to get into character to do that with Tony. It's a character I need to get into to do the work with Tony. It's something I need to do for that reason. But again, I say to you, uh, people ask me all the time, what about you and Tony getting together again? But funny enough, you know, Tony and I get together every every decade. So, um it wouldn't surprise me if we did do some more work because the last look, look, Eddie fused, even the bonus tracks on fused are phenomenal. Yes. And let's, let's go back to 2006 or 2007 when we were supposed to tour with Kenny Aronoff, we were set to tour and then Sharon got the band back together for that reunion. And we had to shelve, I think Giza's album was shelved. Uh, Iomi Hughes was shelved. So we, kind of have unfinished business, don't you think? 
Yeah, that's why I'm asking about it. Um, again, we're, we're going to talk about Purple and the tour you have coming up. But I, before mm. I forget, one other thing I got to ask you, because you made a lot of news in an uh, interview you did recently yeah. where you talked about this Van Halen thing where there was some dialogue with you and Eddie, I yes. guess, after Roth was done. And I, I, I know you said in a, in a recent interview that, and that obviously, as you've seen, picked up a lot of traction. Is there anything you'd like to add or elaborate about that? Well, number one, I didn't think that that was out there. People didn't know that. So the the story is, I was over at Eddie's house in the early nineties, and if I if I may say so, Eddie was newly sober at that point, and we had a conversation about stuff from the eighties. Eddie's manager, uh, Noel Monk, was my tour manager in Trapeze back in the early seventies. So oh. Eddie said they were thinking about me prior to asking Sammy to come in. But the thing that stopped it was I wasn't the man I am today in the mid eighties, as you know, we all know that now. So he thought maybe it would have been a good idea, but would Glenn be the right guy? Was he steady to do that? And they got Sammy in. So we'll never know. But it was an honor for Eddie to think that, you know, he would invite me to at least come down and have a, have a, have a thing, you know? So yeah, it would have been very, very interesting, but Eddie was very close and uh, I miss him dearly. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your relationship with him and how well you knew him because he was a, a massive purple fan was my understanding. So I'm sure that uh, he was, he probably loved uh, talking to you about some purple or whatever. He was a big trapeze fan. He played a trapeze in keeping time with a, a, a Van Halen cover from trapeze. So, um, yeah, Eddie was a burn fan. So quick, you don't, you don't know this story. I don't tell it very often. 1978 Thanksgiving. I found myself in Dallas, Texas, and I went to see the guy Sabbath and the guys, and there was an unknown band on the bill called Van Halen. I had not heard of them. They, they maybe, maybe had made a record, but so I went down the show early and I, stood at the side of the stage, and lo and behold, I see this incredible band, amazing guitar player. And, of course, their manager was my ex-tour manager. When they came off the stage, Noel Monk introduced me to the guys, and Eddie took me into a room, and we, he had his guitar, and we, he played some stuff to me. And ever since that day in Thanksgiving of 78, Eddie and I became very close. So throughout the years, we'd get together often. He was over my house a few times. And we were we were good friends. Yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't realize that that connection with Noel uh, yeah. was was with Trapeze as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so let's talk like talk about the years going by and time going by. Your first album with Deep Purple, your first of three, Burn, is fifty years old this year. It is a remarkable album that still holds up. It is, uh, as I mentioned to you the other day, it's incredible when you think of a band as big as Purple was at that time, changing out lead singers to an unknown guy in that at that time, David Coverdale, bringing you in on bass and lead vocals as well. Uh, mm -hmm. To think it was a different time. You know, now I think fans are very used to a lot of lineup changes with groups happening very quickly yeah. and out of nowhere back then it was cataclysmic when a band had a lineup change so here is one of the biggest bands in the world in purple and they're changing the lead singer to an unknown guy in coverdale and they're bringing you in 
from Trapeze mm-hmm. on bass and lead vocals, uh, the odds would kind of think there would be, yeah. maybe it wouldn't gel, it wouldn't work, there would mm-hmm. be fan backlash. None of that happened. Uh, take us back 50 years to that experience, Glenn. Did sure. it surprise you on how well it came together so quickly? Sure. So I joined in June of 73, um, and then I, I, I'm sure you know the story. They were going to ask Paul Rogers to join, and when we, I had the board meeting at the Essex House that beautiful day in uh, May of 73, uh, they told me that they, they were going to ask Paul Rogers. And I went, ooh, he was a good friend of mine. I'm thinking, ooh, that would be great to sing some stuff with Paul, bounce some ideas off Paul, because we have both have the same northern roots. We're both R&B blues fanatics. So I was very excited about that. And of course, the next, I said I was going to join. Uh, I didn't want to join as their bass player to, to take over Rogers Park because I am a lead singer, as you know, Eddie. But I, I wanted to, to be part of the experience to lend my voice to that band, to be part of the touring ensemble of the new Deep Purple. And of course, seven weeks later, we found David Coverdale from nowhere. He popped up from nowhere. So, so the idea initially was going to be you and Paul Rogers. Was there ever talk of you just being the lead singer? Blackmore wanted a deeper registered voice. You know, he wanted a more darker voice because I've got a higher natural voice. You know, and he wanted he'd had that with the Gillen that got a natural high voice too, as you know, back in the day he did. So. It only made sense when Paul said, I'm going to do Bad, bad Company, that we were looking, maybe looking for someone that had that deeper, deeper registered voice. And David most certainly has that. Yeah. Yeah. What were, what, what was the fan? I mean, I mean, I know that you had already had a good following because of Trapeze, but what was the initial fan reaction to this all-new lineup of Deep Purple when, when it was first revealed, Glenn? I mean, what, what do you recall about that? About the, the fans? Yeah. The fans? Um, well, back in the day, there was no, no internet, so we, we had a few magazines like New Musical Express and Melody Maker. You, you'd read those, but, you know, it was really not, not really... The, the comments were really non-existent. There was some trepidation, of course, having come off of a Machine Head, uh, the biggest selling album of 1973. Yeah. And, but when we got together, that first, you know, we went to the castle in, in, uh, in Gloucestershire, a, a 14, 14th century castle, uh, to write this album. I think when any band goes into write new music, they don't really have this egocentric, oh, this is going to be the mind, most mind-blowing. We just sat down and wrote these new songs. You know, two new guys and three, uh, you know, guys from Mark II becoming fast friends. The camaraderie was absolutely wonderful. A lot of joking and, pra- you know, Blackmore was full prankster mode. And John Lord was, was beautifully, uh, just a beautiful guy. And we were all in this castle making this new music. And we were very, very happy with it. Do you remember the moment that the title track, which is the best known song on that record, Burn, 
Do you remember that coming together? I mean, that riff is so iconic, and then you singing the high part in that. Do you remember that specific song when it, how it was put together? It's almost like I prompted you to ask me that question. So we're down the pub. We've got about seven songs. Anne Blackmore said, he took, put his pint of beer down and says, I think we're missing a song called, and he scratched his head and goes, why don't we write a song called Burn? Um, oh, God, I mean, two hours later, we're down in the crypt in the dungeon with all our equipment on, half drunk, and we stood around the keyboard, and black, we're, all, we're all together, and we wrote that song off the cuff. It, it came together really quick. Yeah. Wow. Does he just go into that riff, Glenn? Did he, I'm assuming that riff was his? So check it out. You know, when you're making records, when you're making music, you're always playing riffs. I, we had not heard that riff. He hadn't, he hadn't played it. Then he played the da 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 It was like, holy shit. And then we all sort of, <laughs> we all sort of like da-da-da-da, you know, Pacey was doing his thing. And it all just, it, Eddie, it wrote itself. As soon as, we, as soon as Pacey started playing, we were off to the races. It was one of those magical moments in, in rock music where a song pretty much wrote itself. Yeah, and, and, and going forward from Purple, of course, there would be two other records, one more with Blackmore and Stormbringer, and then the record with the late, great Tommy Boland, Come Taste the Band. What were your thoughts about the evolution of, of those records and as things went forward with you and Purple at that time? Were you happy with the direction those second two records went in? Another good segue. So Burn was great. You know, we did the Cal Jam. You know, we all know about that. And the tour was successful around Europe and, and America. We, we did good, good, good tickets. You know, it was really good. So we're getting ready to do another album. We're going down to the castle again to do production. But this time, unbeknownst to us, Richie didn't. He brought in only two ideas, one being Stormringer, as we know, and the other one being Soldier of Fortune, the acoustic piece. And the rest, he didn't, there was not, normally Blackmore kind of brought in the riffs, the structure of the song, and then we would finish it, if you will. But this time, there was only two pieces of music. So we went about writing the rest of the album, John, David, and, and myself. Um, and you have what you have. So he was kind of uh, already on Stormbringer. It was becoming obvious he was kind of losing interest. Did we know that he was at that time thinking about Ronnie at that time? I'm not sure if, if that was in his mind, but it certainly was a few months later when we started to tour. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. That whole period's interesting. And you're going to revisit the burn period, celebrate yeah. 50 years of that record. You've got a tour that's going out. Tell the audience you're going out on a as a co-headline with Inge. Yeah. And uh, this this tour starts. Well, you've got your own. There's one a few shows. It's only you, including the first yeah. one, August 16th, Vineland, New Jersey, Landis Theater. Yeah. The bulk of the dates are you and Ingve. Uh, tell everybody what they can expect on this tour coming up. Well, Ed, we spoke last week. Ten years ago, I did the Marshall 50th with a group of my friends, great guitar players like Thatch and, you know, and Ingve and Zach, you know, a lot of great guitar players at Wembley Arena in London. And Ingve was one of them. And Ingve and I, 
Well, he came on to, to do Mistreated with me, but I've known Ingvay since 1983 when he opened for Hugh Small at the country club in Reseda when Ingve was in a band, I think, called Steeler. Am I right? Yes, Steeler, so yeah, with I Ron Keel. I met a very young, tall, skinny, loud guitar player from Stockholm. <laughs> I love Stockholm. And even, even Look, even back then, when he was a, a, a teenager, he was phenomenal, one of a kind, and a Richie, a Richie fan, as you know. And over the years, I mean, literally every decade, I run into Ingve with friends. I love his dynamic. Yeah, he's crazy like me, but, you know, he's, he's one of a kind. He's a, 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 a craftsman, you know. So what, what I'm doing with him on this run is we're co-headlining, as you know. I don't think either of us wants to open. So we're selected uh, in each market where we're going to have an opening act play. So, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be real fun. And you're going to spotlight in your set the Burn record. Are you going to do the entire album, or are you just going to do some songs from it? What What will your entire set be uh, made up of? It's going to be three quarters of Burn. The, the, the instrumental A200 really won't work. So I'll be playing some, some, some you know, look, I, I've been doing some of these songs for a while now, but I've never played this whole set like this. So, and, and by the way, this may be the last time I play this show uh, across the world because after I've done this leg of this tour, which will be 18 months, I need to go back to my solo career because I've got so many solo albums, like, I've got Soul Mover and stuff like that, I need to look at. So, but playing this show for, the, for, for rock fans across America and across the world, especially this summer in, in the country I love, you know, I've been in America now for quite some time. Uh, it's going to be a magnificent moment for all of us, and we're so excited by it. Tell the audience about the band that you have with you for, uh, performing this, because obviously uh, you're going to be holding down bass and vocals, but yeah. uh, Deep Purple and that lineup of Deep Purple, everybody were extraordinary musicians. So who do you have with you uh, playing the stuff? Well, I have Soren Anderson, my longtime guitar player. He's been with me for 17 years. Uh, and he, he did resonate with me uh, nine years ago. He's an amazing musician. And he plays a Stratocaster. And it's appropriate to play a Stratocaster for the burn music, as you know. On keyboards, I'm bringing Ed Roth back with me. Ed's been in and out of my band for the last 15 years. So Ed's playing with me, playing the Hammond and uh, another John Lord sounding guitar. I gotta have this sound, you know, it's very, very important. Drum wise, I've got Ash Sheehan, my drummer from the black country back home in the UK, who's an, a magnificent drummer and plays the Ian Pace stuff remarkably well. I'm not asking these guys to copy the guys, I'm asking them to let's, you know, really hone in on the sound of what the stand used to be, because if you're gonna play this show, you've gotta have the sound in the right uh, genre, you know what I mean? Yeah, I saw you do, the, the, I saw this band uh, mm. at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, and, and you were spotlighting Burn then, or Purple then. That's and, right. Uh, it, it was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. So and it's, this is a great bill with you and Ingve. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's really good. Have you talked about, uh, have you guys talked about doing something together at some shows, him getting up with you or vice versa maybe? 
Well, as we all know, Ingvay, I say this with respect, knows all of my music. So, I mean, I'm talking the Deep Purple music, of course, because, I mean, when, sure. I, when, he, when he played with me 10 years ago, we were in the dressing room, and he was, he was playing off Sail Away and all these purple songs. I'm going, oh, he could play every song, you know. So it wouldn't right. surprise me. It wouldn't, look, we haven't got nothing planned, but it wouldn't surprise me one evening if I see a tall gentleman stepping onto my stage or if I, <laughs> on, it won't surprise me. But you, you just never know with Ingve. You know, again, we're, we're dear friends, and, and long may that continue. Well, the dates are uh, all on Glenn's website. There are four that are Glenn only. The rest mm-hmm. are all with Ingve. The first with Ingve is at the Strand Theater, Hudson Falls, New York. Uh, there are dates in California. There are dates in Texas. Obviously, uh, you wrap up in Florida. So you're mm. kind of scattered all around out there across the country, but it's a good run of shows. Do you anticipate if this goes well, maybe doing more, or will this be it? What I'm going to do between you and I, Eddie, I'm going to play in America. I'm going to be playing America next year more than I've ever played before. I have things lined up next year that I need for my soul. I need to be playing in the country I love and live. So America is some some place that I've always wanted to tour extensively in, in this country. And that's what I'm going to do next year, I've decided. And we're working on that as we speak. That's awesome. I mean, like you said, your catalog is so vast mm. that you kind of have to kind of dive in in these certain parts or you're going to do this tour and spotlight burn, but then you've got so much other stuff out there. It's incredible. Um, Glenn, I won't hold you much longer. A couple no. quick things that I just wanted to ask as well. The band you've just come out of, you just made, you yes. made two fantastic records recently Thank with you. the dead daisies. I know you've moved on from that. Can you talk about your decision to move on from that? Yes, I was, uh, we, we did a tour of the UK last November and David, I had a meeting with that. Well, we had a meeting with David Lowy and, David wanted to spend some a good eight months uh, at home. He's got a home in Tel Aviv with his uh, father. And he wanted to spend some time, his dad's 92, and he wanted to spend some time with his father. And he wanted to do some business stuff outside of the dead daisies. So he wanted to take, I hate the word hiatus, but you know, he wanted to take a break. And I, Eddie, I didn't want to take a break. And I said to Jim, my manager, well, Let's take a look at what we can do for the next six months. So Jim, Jim and my agent went about booking shows, and we got, we, we got so many offers for all over the world to, to do this, this burn uh, 50th anniversary that we just jumped on board, and here we are talking to you about it now. So it's going to probably run, Eddie, till the end of 2024. And then, between you and I, I shall go back to being Glenn Hughes, the solo artist, making probably new music. And finally, speaking of new music, I just saw Joe Bonamassa last week, and we know that uh, you have come close to completing the new de- uh, the new Black Country Communion record, a band yeah. that pops up from time to time. This will be the fifth album, if my, if my count is right. And uh, tell us what you can about the record. Is it, is it done now? Have you completed it? I was in the studio last week completing vocals, and Joe was there with me last Wednesday before he had to leave to go to somewhere up north. 
Um, I finished the last vocal track last Friday afternoon at three o'clock. Now the, the the album is in the hands of Kevin Shirley to he'll probably go back to Australia after Joe does the Hollywood Bowl tomorrow, and then the mixing process will start. I would imagine, Eddie, that the album will be out in the first quarter of next year. And people asking about what's the music like, it sounds like black country communion. There's no, not too many left turns. There's nothing happening that's weirdly different. We followed a vibe of the first four albums. So it, it's an extension, but it's really a progression, if you can call it a progression. Everybody's playing out of their skin. The vibe in the camp has never been so friendly and 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 it's a really really great vibe in the band, and we had a great time at Sunset Sound in Hollywood, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Yeah, no, I can't wait to hear it as well. And uh, you know, the thing whenever people talk about BCC, the obvious uh, immediate question oh, yeah. that always comes up is playing live, and I know that's challenging given mm. everyone's schedules, but Joe had said to me, uh, because his schedule can be very intense too, but he had said to mm. me that he he totally wants to carve out at least the opportunity to do a few shows in America and yeah. a few shows in Europe with BCC. Is that where you're at as well? Well, just just if you go back 10 years when I wanted to, well, we all wanted to play more shows. And Joe has been, and Joe's been very busy from the get-go of his career. What I want you to know, and I want everybody to know that that we, of course we want to play with Black Country Community, but Joe's schedule is crazy busy. And we all get it. Unfortunately, it's the way it is. So my priority is playing my own music with my own band and doing what I need to do to have fun on my own. Would I like to play some shows with Joe, Eric and Jason? Of course I would. I think everybody would like that. But what I can't do is say we're going to do this, this and that. And he does. I've done it before and it didn't happen. So I won't, I'm glad Joe's told you he wants to do something like that because I think we all want to set some time out to do that. And we're hoping that we can play in North America next year. Yeah, that would be great because that music is just lends itself so well to being played live. And uh, it's just awesome to, to see. Everybody go to glennhughes.com. That's Glenn with two N's. Uh, you can anywhere else people should go to keep up with you, Glenn. Social media as well, obviously, is out there. Anything Glenn, else that uh, yeah. you, you want to make sure people yeah. know and share? Yeah, Glenn Hughes online on Instagram and Glenn underscore Hughes on Twitter. And, you know, Glenn Hughes on Facebook and a bunch of other things. But listen, to everybody out there listening to this, I want to say how much I've, I love making music. For rock fans, I am a rocker at heart. I love all kinds of music, as you know. I'm blessed. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm grateful. I have enough in my life. I've, I've, I've done it all. I'm still standing on my own on the right side of the grass, living in this present moment, about to embark on a wonderful tour starting next Wednesday in New Jersey at the Landis Theatre in Vineland. But before then, I've got to go to Copenhagen tomorrow for one show and return on Saturday. <laughs> oh my gosh talk about a one-off copenhagen <laughs> just one one show and i'll fly back on saturday and you know stop back with chips from monday doing pr so there you go there you go there you go well listen it's always great to talk to you i absolutely am going to find one of these shows to get out to because 
uh, seeing seeing you and Ingve together in the same night on the same stage that yeah. should be absolutely phenomenal and uh it's that's going to be a great show. Everybody find out if there's a date Thank near you. you. Go to Glenn's outlets and uh, check it out. And even if it's not one of the dates with Ingve, I'm imagining on the four shows that's just you, maybe a little longer set, you're going to add a few things. Yeah, I will. Uh, Don's coming out next Wednesday. I'll probably have Don do a bit before I go on. So, look, next Wednesday we start in New Jersey. It's a place I love. I love the, I love the Northeast. But America, I need to know, I've been living here for 50 years as well. So it's my home. I smile when I tell you that. Rock fans in America are so amazing. And I look forward to seeing you, America. Coming up very soon, I will be all yours. Uh, Glenn, I look forward to seeing you soon out there on the road. Travel safe. Have a good gig in uh, Copenhagen. And you, uh, you know where to get me if you need anything. All the best, my friend. Thank you, Eddie. And God bless America. See you all soon. Always love visiting with Glenn. By the way, we did an episode of my YouTube series with Don and Jim, That Rocks, with Glenn Hughes. That's up on YouTube now, free to check out. So be sure to subscribe and watch our weekly youtube show with me don jameson jim florentine called that rocks totally free on youtube there's about 14 episodes you guys can get caught up on right now glenn hughes being one of them and thanks to joe bonamassa for joining me earlier in the podcast as well again both of those interviews took place on my daily radio show trunk nation monday through friday three to five eastern faction talk sirius xm channel 103 replays every night at midnight eastern 9 Pacific, and full episodes anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. Thank you all for listening. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, you want to join me on SiriusXM, real simple. You can join totally free and get three free months through the app or over your radios, however you want to listen. SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. No credit card required. Three months free. Be sure to take advantage of that offer. At Eddie Trunk on social media. Have yourselves a great week. Hope to catch you on the radio. And if not, I will catch you back here next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast.